You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. Just want to give a special thank you to um, Leewood Baptist Church for the opportunity to be here and and to speak and to proclaim the Word of God. Um, Special thanks to your pastor for asking me. I am one of the pastors at uh, Cross Fellowship Church. I'm not the predominant speaking pastor, Um, so I had the privilege of being available, and um, so I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, The Resurrection of Jesus is the foundational work, the foundational sign that Christ did that the entire Christian faith is based on. If you pictured the Christian faith, not that this is, this is just a comparison, just an illustration, so don't hear me say I'm comparing the Christian faith, faith to a house of cards. But if you pictured it as a house of cards, the resurrection undergirds the entire Christian faith, and it is the capstone of the climactic point in which Christ made that house of cards, if you will, a fortress, a brick building, that the entire Christian faith is built upon. So when we come to the point of resurrection, it's not like that this is an opportunity for Christians to say, I'm going to take and select this portion of faith or this portion of faith and I'm going to chuck or I don't have to fully embrace the resurrection. Last week, Pastor Adam brought to you the crucifixion. He brought to you the purpose, the entire purpose, and the reason for which Christ was sent. There was a debt that needed to be paid, a sin debt that needed to be dealt with. Jesus himself was that payment. Jesus received the full wrath of God for sins that he did not commit. Then Jesus said, it is finished. He gave up his own life so that people might actually live. Belief is the way into the kingdom. Jesus was then removed from the cross. He was placed in a burial tomb. The light of the world. The hope for mankind lies silent and dead in a tomb. Is that it? Is it over? The gospel writer has been calling for belief throughout his gospel. It is amazing the thing about this particular gospel of John The word belief you find over a hundred times. Less than half of that is combined in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has been calling for belief. He is writing to a people 
who do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in His name. I know that that's the purpose statement. We'll get to that at the end of this. It's found within this John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, you could turn there to the Gospel of John chapter 20. What we want to do is continue on in the narrative and pick up in chapter 20. Again, Jesus was crucified on Friday. Our story picks up on Sunday very early in the morning. We will read together verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John has been writing this letter from the perspective of a disciple of Jesus himself. As an eyewitness, one who saw firsthand everything that had happened to Jesus. At this point in the story, we have to ask ourselves, how true is this historical event? Does Jesus' own disciples believe Does belief continue on after his death? The evidence or the proof that Jesus rose from the grave is recorded for us that the tomb was empty. John records for us incredible details surrounding this empty tomb that he and Peter found. I want you to listen to some of these details and it's cast in the light of the fact, what do these have to do with the resurrection? So John tells us that Mary, he captivates her thoughts. He says, Mary thought that someone had taken him. Is this about the resurrection? John, the gospel writer, also records that Peter, or that John outran Peter. What? 
what? What are we talking about here? Why is that detail recorded? The cloths were lying there. The face cloth that was around Jesus was folded neatly and put aside. What does that have to do, honestly, with the resurrection? What is John's point in including those details? When someone tells you a story, the more details that surround that story that naturally make sense begin to authenticate the truthfulness of the event. How was that tomb empty? Either there's two logical conclusions that have to be drawn from this. Either someone took him, whoever that would be, or he rose. That's the two logical assumptions that naturally would take place. The natural, logical, earthly explanation is that someone took him. That's what Mary thought. When they arrived, they saw the cloth still in the tomb. The body was not where it was supposed to be. Belief became a reality to the author of this gospel that there was another explanation. Up until this point, the resurrection was not understood, even though Scripture taught it. John came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus not because of what he saw, but it was because of whom he did not see there. John came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus when he did not see Jesus there. Verse 9 explains the kind of belief that John had when he entered the tomb and saw it was the absence of Jesus. Let me draw your attention to John 20, verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. You know what's amazing about this particular passage? Belief is directly connected to Scripture. Belief is rooted and grounded in Scripture. In other words, Scripture is authenticating or proclaiming the truthfulness of the belief. John is calling for belief. Question for you. I am, would assume that you're here because you would claim belief. How scripturally based would you say your belief is? I can't tell you how many testimonies of people that give of where their belief is is anywhere but scriptural. I'm being truthful. When you ask people what your faith is, your belief is rooted and grounded in, I cannot tell you how many people claim it's because I have prayed and asked Jesus 
into my heart. It's because I believe that I've gone to church all my life. My faith and belief is rooted and grounded in anything other than Scripture. The Word of God teaches here that John's belief became a reality. He's writing this passage 50 years later after this event happened, but he's recalling back when I came to saving faith in Jesus, it was directly connected to the empty tomb, and it's as of up until that point, I had not understood the Scripture, and his belief became a reality in Scripture. Let me ask you something. Is your faith really rooted in Scripture? If you were to stand up before this holy God and you, He were to say to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? Uh, uh, I, I, I prayed and to receive you. That will get you in hell. That is not scripturally based. That is not biblically rooted. But yet, there are countless number of people who believe that. There are a number of people who believe anything but the truth that is rooted in Scripture. The empty tomb is what our faith is rooted and grounded in. John came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. He conquered sin He gained victory for us and conquered death. Is your faith, truly, if you were to confess out of your heart what your faith is rooted in, is it in Scripture? Is it based off Scripture? If somebody confronts you and tells you that's not biblical, are you open? Are you willing to listen to the Word of God? Let's continue on. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. So John leaves the scene there of Peter and John. He says they dismisses them. They went back to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? In other words, this should be a time of rejoicing. She said to them, so she reveals out of her heart the reason for the tears, they have taken away my Lord. We're not told who the the they are. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? He goes one step further and says, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, 
I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. John continues his narrative with Mary standing outside the tomb weeping. She looks into the tomb and is met with the presence of God in the form of two angelic beings. The angels ask Mary a question, helping to reveal the source of her unbelief. Mary's inability to make sense of what has happened, she gives her explanation. In the middle of the things not making sense for her, she becomes aware of the presence of someone else. She suddenly realizes someone else is there. She turns and sees, standing by Jesus, although John describes to us that she doesn't know that it's Jesus, Jesus asks her a further question, whom are you seeking? Mary dismisses him as the gardener, but thinking that he might know something, inquires of his involvement of why Jesus' body isn't there. Jesus reveals himself to her by calling her name. When the voice of the Savior entered her ears, Mary immediately knew that it was him speaking. I wonder if there's anyone here today making claims on Jesus that has never heard his voice truly call you. Salvation requires a divine intervention of God. Jesus has made it very clear. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. How is it that we have so many people claiming, making claims on Jesus that have genuinely never heard God call them? God's voice in the form of Christ. Of course, we know this is all done by the work and power of the Holy Spirit. But Mary suddenly realized it was Jesus who was calling her. I wonder if there are those here that are being called by Christ and you've yet not come to saving faith in believing in all that Jesus has accomplished for you. Let's continue on in the story. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, <clears throat> even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. When Christ entered into that room, the disciples obviously had heard from Mary that Jesus is alive, heightening their fear 
especially what had happened to Jesus, and everybody knew that he had disciples, they locked the doors. That did not stop Jesus from being able to stand in the midst of them. Jesus came to the midst of them, and I want you to get this. The first words that he says to the disciples is, peace be with you. I assure you, this is not simply a piece of have a good day. I hope all goes well with you. This is a peace that comes only from knowing Jesus. The peace that, is, that Jesus is speaking about is the peace that he has brought because of his crucifixion on the cross. This peace, peace be with you, is coupled right next to the words of him showing his hands and his side. It's directly connected to the crucifixion. There is no peace without the understanding of what, why Jesus came, why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus came to forgive people. Not everyone. The requirement is belief. That's what John has been advocating for and calling people to. But peace with God is never apart from the gospel. It can't be separated from the gospel. It can't be separated. You cannot have peace with God without the understanding of the gospel. Jesus shows them, here's why there's peace with God. It's because of what I have accomplished. Listen, I don't know if you get this, but people keep, you might be thinking, why does the gospel always have to be front and center of the church? Folks, there's nothing else for the church but the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't follow anything else but Jesus. God is perfect and holy. We are sinful. There's no way we can get to God. You can't expect to die and then all of a sudden be ushered in his presence. Oh, because I think something happened 2,000 years ago. No, he was hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. He was the mediator, the only one between the entire earth and God the Father. And while he was hanging on the cross, God poured out his wrath, his anger, his vengeance, all of his holy hatred on his son who did not commit one sin. And then he died. And if you think for one moment God is going to allow you into heaven because you've trampled on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you've believed that we've moved on to better things. Well, I'm setting things behind me. This church or my life is about this. You are sadly mistaken. It must, your belief must be biblically based. It must be rooted and grounded in Scripture. If you say, I don't know that, then come to someone who you trust and who you know their faith is rooted and grounded and ask them and share with them. It's... it's Countless people are in hell because they have the wrong belief. It's because of what Christ died. We don't move on to anything else bigger and better. There is nothing else bigger and better than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The church's primary responsibility is Christ and guarding that doctrine and His truth. Then they are commissioned by Him. The church's next responsibility 
is obedience, and the third right under that is missions. You cannot continue functioning as a church, and I'm not saying Lee would. I'm saying as a church, Jesus commissions the disciple. He says, as I have been sent by the Father, so go you. That is, that's right in front of you in John chapter 20. The church's mission is not, let's take some people some water, although that's a good thing. The primary mission is not, let's go help paint this church overseas, although that's a good thing. The church's primary responsibility is to see others come to the saving faith the same saving faith that they have received from Jesus, and that will never be apart from any other message but the gospel and what Christ has done. Let's continue on. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him that we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, here's his response, unless I see his hands, the mark of, his, of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas is no exception to Jesus' disciples. I know that Thomas over the years of preaching has gotten a very bad rap. Can I lovingly point out before we just throw Thomas under the bus? Jesus showed himself to the other disciples. Jesus, eight days earlier, had already come into the presence of the other, others and he had shown himself to him. He's not going to expect Thomas or come to Thomas and say, your belief isn't valid. I showed it to the other disciples. And I'm not going to show it to you. You've got to believe without seeing. At this particular juncture in history, Jesus, authenticating his message, met Thomas with the gospel. Jesus came into the room without ever hearing Thomas's unbelief. He never heard Thomas right there in Thomas's presence, say, I won't believe. But Jesus came into the room and knew already what was in the heart of Thomas. 
Jesus came in, and he's asking Thomas to apply the gospel to his unbelief. Jesus said, okay, Thomas, here I am. I'm real. Here's my hands. Here's my side. Place your fingers in your hands here. In other words, apply the gospel to where you are unbelieving. John doesn't tell us whether Thomas exactly did that or not. But it is crystal clear that what Jesus is saying is, you are at this moment an unbeliever. Jesus said, do not disbelieve, but believe, become a believer. So Jesus shows him his hands and his feet and his side. And Thomas, seeing that this was the risen Savior, he falls on his face perhaps and cries out, my Lord and my God. If you're here and you are struggling with belief, whether your faith is right, I would ask you, what sin are you holding on to? What area are you hurting? What area are you struggling with? Whatever it might be, the gospel is the answer. The gospel must be applied to the answer. The gospel that Christ's nail prints inside are real. What's some of the most beautiful words in Scripture? For us, because as Gentiles, we're not physically back 2,000 years ago to see this. But look at these words that Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus says to him, basically, you have believed because you've seen me, blessed as opposed to cursed those who have not seen and yet believed. Oh, praise God, we have these words in Scripture that allow belief to become a reality without physically seeing Jesus. But can I tell you something? There are countless people, I believe, with all of my heart, that try to claim a profession on Jesus without recognizing the accountability that they have to Him. Belief is always rooted and grounded in the whom you are accountable to. Jesus showed Himself to the disciples. You are called, you and I are called to blindly believe the words and the testimony of the gospel writer of John and the testimony of others that have claimed that they they have seen him. How many of you have been around people that have genuinely come to saving faith in Christ long after they've professed and gone to church and have believed, have claimed that they believed? How many of you have seen the truth and the reality of God's grace drop down to a sinful person and that person's heart has been changed? They have been converted. They are profoundly and deeply changed, moved by the sovereign grace of God and they have professed and claimed, I was not a Christian, but now I am a Christian and you've dismissed it as if they've always been. Not taking into account that they, in a spiritual sense, have truly seen Jesus. 
I wonder if there are some here that have not yet seen Christ and truly understand that their testimony must be rooted and grounded in Scripture, that they truly have to have had the voice and the call of God upon their life. Their belief is always rooted in the gospel and that there is no exception for anyone for disbelief. Because, of he, because he rose from the grave. Jesus pronounced that belief is not conditioned upon sight. Praise the Lord. I hope that you are here and that your trust and faith that you are placing is rooted and grounded in Scripture based on the call of God. It's never apart from the gospel and that your faith is genuine and real. Verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written for the purpose so that you may believe that Jesus, not just anywhere, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. My prayer and hope that every single person in here will wrestle with the fact of where your belief is placed, what your belief is trusting in. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it is your word that stands through the test and time of eternity. God, I cannot look into the hearts of anyone here. But God, what is beautiful and even revealed in this scripture is that you already know every detail of every person sitting in this room. I pray that if there is one here that does not genuinely know you, I pray that your gospel would begin to apply to their unbelief. I pray that you would help that person come to saving faith in Christ and Christ alone. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word. We give you all the praise, God, for your death, burial, and resurrection. We give you the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Music